Today is Wednesday, November 1st, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today we have some interesting questions from a guy named Udo, who wants to talk about Catholicism and arguments for Catholicism. One of these are apostolic uh, succession, uh, baptismal regeneration, church fathers, uh, different things like that. So uh, talking about a bunch of different arguments from Catholicism, and uh, then... We talked about, uh, that lasts for a little while, good insights. Um, then we get on to Trump and stuff. So we talk about Trump's default judgments against him, uh, tax, you know, the tax cases, valuation of property. And we have local real estate expert Steph to weigh in and give her master class. It is awesome, the level of knowledge she brings to real estate and valuation. Anyway, so we talk about that, and then it trails off in the end where a Hebrew Israelite and an atheist start talking, and I just leave. <laughs> so, have an awesome day. Check out the Ask a Christian uh, store. Grab a t-shirt, support the podcast. Check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon. Share these links, and have an awesome day. We will see you later. I, I almost said, hey, Chris, can I can I make you a moderator? But then a chill went up my spine. <laughs> oh, never mind. He got it up here. As, as well, as well you should. As well you should. <laughs> What's up, Udo? Hello, greetings from Germany, the homeland of Reformation. Mm. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Nice. We had a great Reformation day. I made a sauerbraten and bread dumplings. Okay, fine. <laughs> but my background's German, so I literally I have a I have a old country. Recipe for Sauerbraten. And you also can you also speak German? So I took three years of German in college, and I can ask you where the library is. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. No kidding. Interesting. No. Ich liebe dich. I know that one. I love you. Yeah, I understand. This means I love you. <laughs> yeah. Most people would ask for, like, you know, the restroom or a hospital. Of course, Chris would want to learn, how can I ask where the library is? <laughs> yeah, rare book collections in Germany are awesome. <laughs> so, uh, Udo, what's your questions? We'll be as helpful as we can. Yeah, you know, I the topics I wanted to talk with you about, and first I have to say, I'm also net, not a Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, but, you know, I don't know if it's also in your country, but in my country I see in the internet there is a trend, um, a hype, that many are converting to a Catholic or the Orthodox Church. And, yeah, they also bring up some arguments, and I just want to hear how you would respond to that argument. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, for example, one reason for many, um, they say to con why they converted is um, that you can trace the Catholic and the Orthodox Church back to the apostles through apostolic su succession of the bishops and so on. How would you respond to that? I would say great. That doesn't matter at all. Can you mute QS? That's a lot of echo. 
I would say, great, that doesn't matter at all. Um, we don't need to trace apostolic succession back to the apostles. We just read what the original apostles said and stick with that. Um, so there, there, is, there is no biblical reason that, you know, someone like, uh, you know, the apostles pass off a baton and, uh, you know, go through the ages. Like what they said once is good for all time. Uh, you know, it's the same God that wrote the Bible. So whatever they said, like earlier, I talked about, you know, we want to stay as close to the first century church as possible. Um, so that's our goal. That's what I'd say. Uh, Chris, you were trying to say something. Okay. No, I mean, yeah, you, you nailed it. But the other thing, too, is like if you look at and from the other side of the coin, if you look historically, there is no unbroken apostolic succession that they can prove. Uh, there are large gaps of hundreds of years of their quote unquote apostolic succession that they hand wave away or they lie about. Um, no, ma mainly that. they lie about it. I wouldn't say that. For example, the Catholics can trace uh, back a list of popes from Peter to, um, to Francis the first. Right. That, that's what I'm saying is like they, they hand wave away a lot of these things or they lie about it. Like for instance, there were three popes at one time who was the real pope. And then they picked a fourth one all alive at the same time. Like this nonsense of apostolic succession just isn't real. Um, there were heretic popes. Um, there was Liberius who was an Arian pope. Um, you know, so there's just, there, if you, if you look deeper, the deeper you look into church history, the more their claims fall apart because most of their claims are going to be based on, you know, just propaganda, um, prop and, and a lot of, most Catholics don't know that it's lies. Um, a lot of this stuff was made up by the Jesuits, um, you know, especially during the anti-reformation, they just made up a lot of church history and people believe it wholesale with, with no document or evidence. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, my intention is not to go into you with a discussion. And I just, can I continue with uh, the points? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what's the next question? Next, the next point is, um, Many Catholics and Orthodox people say that their doctrines um, can be found in the early Christian writings. And, and as, as I'm someone who also studies early Christian writings, um, I'm just um, at the Apostolic Fathers, Fathers now, but um, there you can also find many um, teachings we would, we would consider as uh, Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, for example, um, in the Didache or in the letter of Polycarp, you can find that you can give alms as uh, uh, to um, to uh, wash your sin away, to atone your sin. Yeah, that's the word. Wow. Atone. And what's your yeah, so, wait? Hang on. What was the what was the question about that? I, I didn't hear the question. Baptismal regeneration in the early fathers. No, no, um, the question is, how would you to respond to the argument that uh, the teachings of Roman Catholic Church and Orthodox Church can be found in early Christian writings? And uh, I just hey, hey, named you one example. Uh, Chris, go ahead, but do you have a better headset or something? Like, you're, you uh, are echoing and staticky a lot. Are you doing something different than you usually do? Um, I just, I don't have... No, not, headset, not you, not you, Chris. Okay. 
Uh, Chris, go ahead and speak if you can. Or Rebecca, it sounded like you wanted to say something too. Maybe while Chris uh, grabs a headset, I don't know. Yeah, is this better? Yes, that's way better. What'd you do? So my car, and when I, so you guys caught me when I was transitioning my father-in-law to adult daycare. So like, you're transitioning I get in and out of the car like six times. Are you, so. are you Christina now? Just yes. kidding. Okay, continue. Anyway, that sounds so, way better. Okay, cool. So what I would what I would tell you about that is they are always going to want to fight on the ground of the church fathers. The the bottom line is what is the proper authority. Okay. Um, now I can give you about 65 pages of quotes from the early church fathers that repudiate baptismal regeneration. Um, you know, quite easily. Um, there's 87,000 pages of church fathers. They're going to want to fight on that ground because they take them out of context. Some of the early church fathers haven't ever been translated into English from Greek. Um, you know, they're, they're, that's where they want to fight. Never fight them on their ground. It doesn't. Ma it does not matter what the early church fathers wrote in terms of theology um, to give us a clue, because all of the theology we need, Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, all Scripture is God breathed. Right, and the stuff that's God breathed is what matters, and they're going to want to fight on on the ground of the church fathers. Never fight them on the ground of the church fathers because there's too much and there's too many, and people yank things out of context right and left, and it's never a fruitful discussion. Now, there are people that are Roman Catholic that I have engaged on the church fathers, but those discussions generally last for a couple of days. Um, not straight, but, you know, over a couple of days, and they'll be del delving into specific texts. I don't think that's what you want to do if you're talking to somebody about these things. What you want to do is go back to the ultimate authority. The problem with Rome, specifically, and parts of EO, and the problem with the EO is they don't write anything down, but the problem with Rome that does write things down is that their authority is, they, they make fun of us about sola scriptura, right? Um, or the scripture alone as our final authority, they have sola ecclesia. And you may have heard this before, like their final authority is the church. And so the scripture is under the umbrella of the church along with sacred tradition. And so sacred tradition and scripture, uh, well, scripture is underneath sacred tradition. Um, and so they would say the oral teachings of the apostles the scripture all fall under sacred tradition that falls under the umbrella of the church and the church becomes and the magisterium becomes the final authority over what is canon over what is true what isn't the interpretation all this stuff instead of looking at a an infallible and god-breathed authority and so they're expecting you to fight on their ground and accept their ideas of authority. And if you do that, you've already lost the fight. Just like the atheists. Yeah, yeah but on that uh, on the, that aspect, uh, something that um, makes me a little bit, bit skeptic um, is, for example, you know, you find uh, such teachings even in the so-called apostolic fathers, in the writings of people like Polycarp of, Polycarp of Smyrna, who was a disciple of uh, the Apostle John, or Clement, or Ignatius, and, you know, then you have to admit that the church 
um, at that time was uh, still corrupted and just uh, 1500 years or 1400 years later the reformators um, got the things right and all, all the uh, centuries before the church um, uh, and whole Christianity was wrong. I also often ask myself if this makes sense, if it doesn't even make more sense if God um, 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 watches over his church that they don't uh, get in so false teachings because, for example, this is also an argument we often take against Islam that they that 600 years later, um, Muhammad um, brought a new teachings, what which never taught any, anyone before. Well, I would say these aren't. I mean, that that's an okay point, but I think it's misled because no one's coming up with new teachings. We're going back to the first teachings. So it's like no matter who is a disciple of a disciple of a disciple, that doesn't mean that disciples aren't going to, you know, go go awry. I mean, you know, look at Star Wars, right? Like no matter how good someone's mentor is, they can still have a pupil or a disciple or a Padawan who goes astray, which is what happened. So even if someone was like an amazing disciple, uh, you know, of the apostles, there's no guarantee that they're not going to go astray. And, you know, my evidence is look at the Catholic Church. Um, so you know, instead of going to what a disciple of a disciple of a disciple said, just go to what the actual apostle said and stay there. Uh, that would be what I would say. Yeah, and, and they also will try to argue the great apostasy, Udo. We don't believe in the great apostasy. We don't think that, like, the light of the church went out. So there have always been pockets of Christians in the church. The problem is that they redefine the church from being a group of all believers supernaturally to a earthly institution that they call the church. And the earthly institution, again, this is, goes back to authority, the earthly institution is not the church. And so you have, to, you have to say, look, we are talking past each other. When you say church, you mean a bunch of buildings and a bunch of writings and a bunch of dead people when I say church, I mean all believers everywhere in the world at the same time that are supernaturally bound together and united and united with Christ. And so, you know, the, the whole idea of, you know, church is completely different to an apostolic, to a Roman Catholic or to an Eastern Orthodox. Um, and the church never believed the same thing. I mean, the Eastern church was rejecting, you know, teachers as early as 300 and and saying oh those guys are false teachers augustine is not taught in the eastern church they reject augustine that was that was 450 like that was a full 600 years before the great schism and and yet they didn't accept augustine as a teacher like i mean this this idea that the church was united is again it's all propaganda nonsense Okay. Yeah. Can I continue? Sure. This is fun. Yeah, the, the second <laughs> argument they often take is um, that without um, church tradition, you can't uh, know what what was the canon of the scripture. For example, the um, teachers um, of the early church who you would, would, would discredit in some teachings, you, they also um, tell you what a scripture is. How would you uh, resp respond to that? Buckle, you've been quiet. You want to get in on any of this? 
No, I'm actually learning a lot. There's a lot about the church father uh, that I don't know about. Um, I did have my oh, Chris, own Chris is like a walking church father encyclopedia. <laughs> nerd. Nerd. <laughs> no, just, no, just kidding. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know I'm being to... educated, so mm-hmm. you guys continue. Yeah. Good thing he knows how to ask for the library. Like, how many languages do you know to ask for the library is, Chris? Okay, well, guess I'll answer. Okay, uh, let's see. <laughs> the, the question was, how do we how do we know what is scripture without their tradition to tell us what scripture is? I, I think that was it. Um, I'd say, yeah, a lot of times they will they will. I think Chris brought this up a little bit ago, but a lot of times, you know, they'll say, well, how do you know what scripture is? Because you know, it took, uh, you know, it took the Catholic Church to tell you what scripture is, and you know, the Catholic Church organized all the scriptures. The Catholic Church put everything together. Uh, well, the Bible makes the claim. That for people who are believers in Christ, for people who are born again, the Holy Spirit of God himself will live with you and lead you and guide you into truth and understanding. So I believe that – I mean look at the Ethiopian Bible. It's like 86 books. Like anything that could have possibly ever been uh, considered for scripture, they just grabbed everything and threw it in there. So um, as a believer in Christ, um, you know, it, it's hard to say because looking back on it, I already have my beliefs and you know I've already been on this road. But I believe the believer in Christ could read the Ethiopian Bible, which is way more than, you know, what the Catholics call scripture. Um, And they would read all the same stuff they have, all the stuff about salvation. But then when they get to some things in Maccabees, um, that there's like one verse that Catholics build a doctrine out of, or, you know, like uh, the Esdras and things like that, um, they're going to know, like, okay, this is somehow not not on the same par. Uh, This is not on the same par as like, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Colossians, Corinthians. And I believe God's going to lead them into that. And even if he didn't, like even if you're just reading it secularly, there's not a lot of spiritual wisdom you get from like the Maccabees, like especially like third and fourth Maccabees. There's like nothing to do with Jesus or salvation or doctrine. It's just like, who's killing who this week? It's just a lot of socioeconomic commentary. So that's my answer. Like, uh the gospel is not hard. The gospel is very simple. And especially the scriptures in the new Testament, they say the same thing over and over and over about how you can be saved, about how you can, um, you know, receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. So that's my answer. You, you don't yeah, yeah. need a, a crusty monk to tell you what scripture is. Read it for yourself yeah. and, and God will guide you. Yeah. You mentioned an interesting point that, um, the scripture, the scripture goes back to the apostles, but um, here an important point is that from this, from the gospel, for example, from the gospel themselves, you you don't know who exactly who is the author. You um, know it from uh, ex- external sources. Well, it depends what you're talking about. Um, so you know. Not all the external sources would be from Catholicism, so there's that. But then there's some things like John, where you know, you know, John wrote it because at the end of John he says John wrote it. Um, so, so there, and you know, like Paul, like you know, sometimes they'll say I wrote this with my own hand. So, you know, in the scriptures themselves, sometimes the authors claim, yes, okay, I am writing okay. this. John and Luke are different. Um, for example, also Luke, um, he claims that he's an a, um, a disciple of Paul. Um, you can read it from the book of Acts, but um, for example, from in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew, you can't read that. Well, yeah, 
but I would say, you know, just like the Old Testament, like we talked about, you don't, you know, the you don't need Catholic people to tell you who the author of that is. Like Jewish people tell you who the author of those are, um, you know, like Moses and the Pentateuch. But regardless of authorship, like it's not a salvation requirement. Yeah, you got to mute when you're not talking, Udo. There's a lot of feedback from you. Uh, Udo, you got to mute, bro. You got to mute. Hit that okay, mute button. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of wind or something coming back. Anyways, salvation is not dependent on knowing the authorship. So, you know, we do, and you don't have a problem with that. But even if you didn't know who wrote it, um, if you read, you know, if you believe Jesus was raised from the dead and you confess him as Lord, you believe in his birth, burial, death, resurrection, and he says you must be born again and ask him for eternal life, you'll receive it. You don't need to know the author of that. You just believe it. You ask Jesus, you receive it. So I, I don't, I, I know people talk about authorship, but I don't know why. Like, I don't know why they put so much value in it, who wrote it, even though we do. And, you know, if the Catholics want some kudos for, you know, tradition that tells us how the apostles died or, you know, who wrote certain books, I thanks, I guess. But that has nothing to do with salvation. Like, that's not a requirement anywhere. So, you know, I guess thank you. But even if you didn't tell us, it's not necessary. Yeah, that's kind of the way I feel about it, too, to be honest with you. I mean, it's not like when you go through the pearly gates, you know, Jesus is going to give you a fist bump on how much knowledge you had <laughs> on, you know, St. Jerome or something like that. So, you know, um, as long as you have the basics, uh, the fundamentals, uh, I I don't know. I I like to think, and, and I don't want to sound like an ecumenical uh, idiot here, but I like to think that uh, there is a level of grace that God is going to give the sincere believer for some area of ignorance that they have in scripture. Um, you know, I mean, like, for example, take the thief on the cross. I mean, did he, did, did he know anything about the, the Kama Jahanim, anything <laughs> like that before he died? Or, or did he know about predestination or speaking in tongues and all that other stuff? No, he probably didn't. But um, Jesus is the one who declared him to be, uh, you know, saved and promised him paradise the, that same day. So. <laughs> yeah, but I could say to that, um, you you said that um, um, the knowledge about the authorship of uh, books of the Bible isn't meaning for salvation. I would agree on that actually too. But the, you see, the problem is here that um, the the books of the New Testament give you uh, give testimony about the teachings which are meaningful for salvation and yeah then it's and if you uh, look at this from this perspective you have to know who wrote that you have to know if the if the authors of the books of the new testament were apostles they if, if they were real apostles and not just claimed it for because if you um, make this a uh, um, rel rel relative um, that you say that it's, it's not this is not relevant, then some some other people can also come up and with the Gospel of Thomas or other um, New Testament apocrypha. Well, sure. I mean, I guess a couple of things. One, uh, I was going to say, like. 
one, you know, the Holy Spirit is responsible for, you know, impressing on the hearts of men to write the whole Bible. So ultimately, you know, God did it. But then to your point, like, you know, how do you know? Again, it's just like, you know, if, if you included, I mean, you know, the reason the Ethiopian Bible didn't include, uh, you know, the Gnostic Gospels and things like that is because they didn't exist. So, you know, that's a that's a great reason why why, you know, um, because, you know, whenever we talked about uh, the first century church and staying as close as we can to that. Well, that would weed out a lot of the texts, like, you know, the Gnostic texts or a lot of the pseudopigrapha or whatever, because a lot of it didn't exist. So it couldn't possibly be considered in the first century because it didn't exist. So, again, that's another pitfall. That's another way to avoid the pitfall of these false gospels is if you don't look at church tradition, you don't pile stuff on top of the Bible, you just stay with the Bible and the first century church. That's automatically going to weed out lots of this other stuff that came after the first century. Um, and then the, the, the second thing I was going to say is even if you don't know what a Bible is, if someone just tells you, and by the way, like, you know, if, if you're a believer in God, right, if you're a believer in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit's going to like testify, like your spirit's going to bear witness when you read the words of God versus, you know, if you put the book of Judas in front of me, um, where it tries to say, you know, he wasn't really such a bad guy. And, you know, he was like, uh, you know, you're just going to be like something in my spirit says this is not correct. Um, but even if you didn't know what a Bible was, if you've never had, if you don't know how to read and you just met some guy that's like, Hey, do you want to know how you can have eternal life with your creator? And you're like, what's that? And you're like, it's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He died for your sins. The things that make you imperfect. If you repent, turn the other way and start going the other way and do good stuff instead of bad stuff, you know, follow Jesus, become his disciple, ask him to save you and forgive you and give you eternal life. You will be saved and you'll be reunited with your creator forever. Um, no authorship, no gospel, no Bible. Someone just told them the gospel. That's also fine. So you you don't need to know authors, especially if you don't even know any of the writings. Yeah, that's that sounds like uh, like you have some of those King James only people to say that the only way to get saved is through the actual authorized version, the King James. Uh, you can't get saved through the NIV. You can't get through saved through the NESB. You can't even get saved through any other uh, non English speaking. Um, oh boy! Uh, tech translation. You have to have the King James. So, so, all right. Sorry, Chinese people. Sorry, you guys from Guatemala, from Afghanistan, North Korea. You know, China. You're not getting saved because you don't speak English. You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> hey, Joanna, what's up? Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, I'm trying to word this so because okay, so in Matthew twenty four fifteen, there's like a prophecies are minor and major. So the minor prophecy, in my understanding, for this is Jesus says, when you see the uh, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, as spoken by Daniel. <clears throat> Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, so one of my, I just want to say that, you know, there are little cross references in most Bibles. You're familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Okay, I wonder who put those in. Who put the cross uh, so references gonna, in? Yes, yeah, so, so here, well, here is Jesus is clearly uh, saying it was Daniel who said it. So when you push the cross-reference, it says Daniel 9.27, right? Um, 
but there are times when it, you know, okay. My question is, let those in Judea flee to the mountains. I was taught that they did so, and they went to what is called Masada. Does anyone know anything about this? or Is, is really... that like the hidden rock city? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're thinking of Petra, but Masada was a fortress on top of a of a cliff, and okay, uh, yeah, there right. was a there was a uh, in I think about was it like eighty uh, five A.D. Joanna? It was there was a a siege of Masada, um, and it was quite terrible. Okay, I get, so I'm just wondering, did this come true? So when it says, let me try again. <laughs> Okay, so Jesus warned them, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, to me, I thought that was the Roman Empire, standing in the holy place, which is the temple, flee to the mountains. So when Rome attacked in 70 CE, the temple, which is nothing left now except the Wailing Wall, did they heed Jesus's advice and flee to the mountains? The proof is in Masada. Am I correct? I thought Chris was going to say something about that. So, I, I mean, I mean, it's kind I of mean, like I a... Pre- it's, it's trying to defer well, to you. Well, it was kind of like a preterist-type view, right? That you would think that's been fulfilled, and it was like Nero was the abomination of desolation. And, you know, who's to say? I mean, he's definitely an Antichrist, but was he the Antichrist? I don't believe so for a second. But, you know, I'm sure people did that. Like, I'm sure when people saw that happen, you know... Who, like, sure, I'm sure people went and did exactly that. But I think even if you want to say it's like a dual prophecy or something, I still believe there's going to be a time when the, you know, like the temples rebuilt or whatever, and like the actual Antichrist stands up there and like, oh yeah, this is this is really the abomination of desolation. Let's get out. So you know, I think I think that area will be used once again for people to flee to. That's my personal view, uh, Chris. Yeah, I don't think that Masada was a direct um, fulfillment of this prophecy. I think that this is a far future prophecy, but you're going to have different scholars agree and disagree on that point. I'm I'm what's called a pre-millennial um, in my eschatology. Uh, I think Veckel is an amillennial. You know, you're you're just going to get you're going to get different interpretations of Matthew 24. Thank you uh, so can much. I also, can you also? Uh, say I don't know about millennial. I don't know. Uh, what do you do? Oh, really? I would also say something to that um, of the abomination of desolation and uh, the, the prophecy in Matthew. Um, a preacher from my church um, said that in the Bible you have sometimes the case of um, multiple fulfillment of uh, biblical prophecies. And because of that, um, he also says that um, this prophecy in Daniel has had a multiple fulfillment. The first uh, fulfillment uh, was um, under Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, under the uh, Hellenistic rule, when the, the, there was where was a idol worship in the temple, and the second fulfillment was um, through through the the Romans, when they also started worshiping their 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 own idols in the Jewish temple, and the third fulfillment was with the with the coming of Islam when they built the uh, 
their mosque and their um, dome of the rock on on that place where the temple was once, and the, and the fourth fulfillment will be under the, the Antichrist. Thank you. Uh, any other questions, Udo? Um, actually, actually, this question. was it. Um, the last point, um, um, so, would, oh, sorry, there is an ambulance. Uh, Are you hiking or something? It sounds like you're, you're uh, doing something. Yeah, I'm outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last, last question would be that, uh, um, or not the question, but the argument from Catholics and Orthodox would be the last of the arguments would be that um, sola scriptura is not found in the Bible as a teaching. Well, just because it's not found in the Bible doesn't mean it's, I mean, you know, sometimes we have to, I mean, you know, we, we have, I don't know how to say it nice, a brain, right? So some things like, you know, you don't need the Bible to tell you that you need, well, I mean, you know, every word comes from the mouth of God alone. So maybe not a great example, but, you know, there's plenty of things you know you should do, like, you know, look twice before crossing the road. You don't need the Bible to tell you that. You just know that you know you need to you need, you need to do common sense things. So anyway, I would say oh, you got to mute again, Udo. That's crazy loud. I would say like sola scriptura. It's like look, we're gonna read the Bible. We're gonna do what it says. There's uh you know also I mean people would argue something about tradition, um, but there's also nothing in the Bible that says explicitly to follow tradition uh, or uh, you know to put scripture on par with tradition. Um, I know people are argue because there's something about like, you know, these traditions or something like that said, but that's my point. That's what I would say. So. Yes, you, you should know the Catholic uh, point of tradition. Um, tradition is, um, you know, their um, assumption is um, that what the apostles thought, uh, taught and what they teach to the church was not um, only the thing, things uh, written in the Bible. They also uh, said to um, the church um, orally things which were not written in the Bible. Um, for example, in I think in First Thessalonians, uh, Paul uh, says and um, talks about um, things he spoke um, or to the Thessalonians when there was a no a letter to the Thessalonians. So, right. So this is the this is the game that they try to play, right? Because they say there was this oral tradition. You know who else had an oral tradition apart from the scripture? Um, the Jews? Correct. The Pharisees. What did Jesus always say to the Pharisees? It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. He says it like a broken robot. It's like crazy. So when Jesus appealed to uh, to God's desire for mankind, he always appealed to what was written. Why would God, who is on earth telling us all these things, then switch it up and be like, you know, 
I'm just not going to write down a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to pass it through oral tradition, through a bunch of fallible men. And also, by the way, we're going to warn you through one third of the New Testament that there are false teachers. It just doesn't, It again, it's just a stupid idea. It's just stupid. There's no other way to put it. Like, these people don't read the scripture. The idea of oral tradition is just stupid. Um, I mean, I, I don't even lend any credence to it or argue it because if they're believing that, then like, there's just, there's no point in even dealing with it. I mean, it's just, it's a just really another dumb, it's a dumb doctrine. It's just another one of those ways that man can find through some, any way possible to defend uh, autonomy uh, as well as seeking some sort of praise uh, for for anything that they anything good that they receive, you know, uh, they 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 can't stand the the idea that God is solely responsible for the grace that we receive, this the salvific status that we receive. Man, in some way, shape, or form, has to be, in some way, shape, or form, uh, affiliated with that status that we have. Through whether yeah. it's through our decision, whether it's through the works that we do. Uh, it's, you know, mankind just cannot fathom this idea that, you know, grace, it's, it's all about grace, not, not having anything to do with tradition, culture, works, obeying the law, anything of that sort. And I would say, uh, Victoria, welcome. Remember, I'm still nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, to, let's see, this is what I was talking about. Uh, FJ says, Udo, you got to mute again. There's a lot of wind. Um, this is the one I was talking about. First Corinthians 11.2, uh, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I handed them on to you, um, among other stuff they're typing. But I would say, to, I mean, this is kind of like a baptized, hey, baptized, hope you're doing well. This is ty- sort of like a baptized level of, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, a giant leap. I, I can't even think of words right now. But it, it's like a baptized level of, gosh, I want to say this nice, like, like we'll just say leaping. It's a very big leap to say that a couple traditions Paul taught now is justification to follow all traditions that are going to be taught like thousands of years later and hold fast to those just as, you know, Paul says, Hey, good job for holding fast to some traditions I left you with. And then use that to say, okay, now we're going to build a ton of tradition and appeal to why you should follow it because of that scripture extrapolation. That's it. To extrapolate things to that level is just very hard for me to get behind. I mean, obviously, we have the communion where, you know, some not all churches do this, but, you know, we have every, at my church every Sunday, we practice communion, you know, take the, the, the piece of bread and, and you know, sip of wine to, you know, member of Christ. Um I would say that's a tradition, but that's not something that we're specifically obligated to to do. I think uh, I don't see any scriptural evidence for that. Uh, same thing with baptism; you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved, but it is something that you sh- every Christian should do uh, as an open proclamation of their allegiance to Christ. Um, so, I definitely would never speak against baptism in any way, shape, or form except for one who's asserting that it's done to be saved. 
But so I would say we could put those under the umbrella of tradition, but none of these traditions are salvific. That's I think that's the the argument that we're making, and uh, for, unfortunately that's what the the uh, the Catholics are asserting. They're saying that these things are hold do hold some salvific value. But go ahead, sorry. Oh, well, I, I forgot to ask Chris uh, when he came in. Chris, if you're speaking, um, you said you had a new approach or a new method. What was that? Or is yeah, going into other rooms like adding them and hoping they find us? Right. Oh, my my new approach is uh, yeah. I was just adding everybody in the Muslim room and getting them to add me back, and then uh, <laughs> see what. Do we uh, really want that though? <laughs> I, I mean, these are the guys that are like they they were literally doing this whole room, and they were they were talking about how the only sane solution is the final solution. They were praising Hitler. They were talking, and this is Mig Zed, and they're listening to all this. They were talking about, like, the genocide of the Jews is the only moral good left in the world. I mean, it was just, like, it was really gnarly. They sounded like Catholics. Wow. Uh, Udo, did that answer your question? Not the Chris thing, but the other thing. Yeah, but um, I still would ask, um, don't you think that um, it still makes sense that there, uh, that there were also past um, oral things by the apostles which were not uh, written? For example, John also says that um, there were also many miracles of Jesus uh, he knew about, but which were not written in his book because um, because no, not all books of the whole world called, um, yeah. Sure, but uh, uh, all. sure, but tradition doesn't cover those either. Like tradition, you know, doesn't doesn't have you know have a handle on all the unwritten miracles of Jesus either. Um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it seems like somewhere between common sense or who knows, Chris. At this point, maybe elect. I don't know. But I mean, it just seems like common sense. Like you know, start with the most important thing which is salvation, how to get eternal life in Jesus. So if you start with the thing that is the most important, and coincidentally, it's the simplest. Um, so start there, and then what is the what is the point of all the other stuff? Well, it's to get the meat of the word, it's to grow in your walk with Christ, and you know, it's to work out your salvation. So when people try, it just seems like a power grab. And why people can't see that, like, well, look, if you repent and believe the gospel, you are saved. For So what is required for that? You don't even know how to read. You can hear that. You can hear, like we talked about, someone tell you that you know Jesus died for your sins. If you believe that, if you follow him, if you ask him to make you born again and give you eternal life, you will have it and you will be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's the most important thing and that's the easiest thing. So if you want to like get to bare bones, you don't need to have a Bible. You don't need to have have reading comprehension. All you need is to have ears. Uh, let's say you don't have ears. Then you don't even need a full Bible. So forget, like, you know, with the Apocrypha, without the Apocrypha, you don't even need the 66-book Bible. You need, like, a couple pages and, like, John. Or you need, like, uh, you know, a, a post-it note excerpt from, like, Galatians. So in order to get the most important thing in this life, if you don't even need a full Bible for it, you certainly don't need traditions for it. So, so it's like, well, for those that say you do, and they build this entire like elaborate theology based on this stuff, it's like, what's the possible motivation? 
And, you know, generously, you can say they, they have their heart in the right place and they're doing their best, but it's still unnecessary. Um, nefariously, you can say it's a way to control, it's a power grab and to keep people in power and, and you know, force their will on people. Um, but regardless, no matter which way, generous or nefarious, it's just not needed. Um, anyway, so I, got, I, I just try to like, consider things through that lens. Um, uh-oh, Victoria left. I, that was as nice as possible. I was handling that with like kitty cat gloves. I agree with that wholeheartedly, everything you said. Yeah. Uh, I, I get that from a lot of uh, conditionalists, actually, who try to argue that you can lose your salvation. It seems what it all boils down to with them, at least not all of them, maybe some of them, but they seem to be more concerned about who they know or who they assume is actually saved or not. You know? And you know, I often point out that the, that really isn't any of your business unless that person is desiring to have some sort of ministerial position in the body of Christ, that local church. You know, you're not going to hire a person who's practicing anything that's contrary to the will of God as a choir leader or pastor or anything like that. Uh, but you could still have them come sit in the pews and listen to the message and, you know, learn. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not saved just because they're flipping here and there from time to time, you know, but it seems like with the conditionalists and some of these other work salvationist people, um, they, they feel that they've been given some sort of authority to determine the, you know, the salvific position of every individual that's in the building, you know, and, and that's, that's where they, they go wrong. So. Uh, Udo, anything else? Or Chris, what are you doing? Are you driving to some? I have a question for Chris. Oh, well, maybe he's listening. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully Chris can hear me. Uh, and maybe if he doesn't respond, maybe someone else can. Uh, Chris mentioned earlier about uh, several writings from the uh, early church fathers that spoke against baptismal regeneration. I, I was always under the impression that uh, there were many that actually support it, so that, which would be one of the things I would disagree with them on. I disagree with baptismal regeneration, but what about those writings, uh, at least the ones I've come across, that seem to show that some of these church fathers supporting baptismal regeneration, or am I misreading them? Well, looks like you have to wait for an answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Because I, I, I point them out because, you know, when I'm arguing against the conditionalists about eternal security, they'll say uh, none of the early church fathers taught eternal security. I says I beg to differ. And then I'll point them out writings and quotations of the early church fathers supporting our eternal security. But at the same time, I would see from those same individuals writings, uh, quotations that I would disagree with, you know, so I just want to make sure I didn't misunderstand what they're saying, or is it true that some of the early church fathers, even them, had some uh, wish-washy understandings of the scriptures that were heretical or, or next to it? Well, let me see if I can uh, channel my inner Chris. I, I do, I, I'm sure, um, 
he would say like, you know, the, the church fathers, plenty of them had very heretical writings. Um, and he would say something like, because, uh, you know, they were still, they had incomplete scriptures. So a lot of them were, were having discussions and they were writing letters back and forth um, with incomplete scriptures. They didn't have the whole canon or the Bible or anything like that. So they would get into like wild heresies. Um, it doesn't mean they always held to them. And it means sometimes they, you know, worked them out and like, you know, drew it back. But during their discussions on some points, um, they were rife with heresies. Okay, that, that makes sense. Okay. That's that's the best Chris I can channel. <laughs> All right. We forgive you for your witchcraft here. Temporary. Witchcraft. <laughs> uh, Joanna, it says you're on the phone. Did you want to speak or is she on the phone? Uh, Joanne, if you wanted to say anything, let us know. Hey, Mr. Michael. Hey, Larry. Sorry to duck out there for a second and take a call when you send me the invite. Uh, no problem, no problem. How was your... Um, how, did you have a happy uh, Reformation Day? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's funny. We, we don't really... It's funny. We haven't really done much with Halloween for, oh, I don't know, a long time. You didn't put razor blades in candy and pray to Satan? No, no. I mean, you know, this typical kind of, you know, like baby for dinner, but other than that, no. <laughs> but, you know, other than that, it was pretty quiet. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. We're just, you know, I'm just sitting up here in Canada watching, you know, getting ready to watch the U.S. burn. <clears throat> oh, boy. Uh, which specific thing are you talking about? There, there's too much to know. Like, what, what is your prediction of how we actually burn? Like, the jury's out on that. There's so many ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm being, you know, hyperbolic, of course. Um, your I'm new not. speaker, <laughs> your, your new speaker of the house is spectacular. Um, he's a full-on Christian dominionist. It's amazing. Um, yeah, he's, he's going to be rare. I, I especially liked the article that came out about his wife. And how his wife had to take down their business's website um, because they um, there was an article I think by by HuffPost or the, or the Times or something like that that reported that um, his wife, who he said during his acceptance speech, you know, was very tired because she spent the last couple of weeks on her knees, um, which I'm sure the memes will start be gener you know be generated about that, um, was uh, had to take her company's website down. Because it was uh, the way the company the company was called the um, oh yeah uh, onward Christian counseling services and really really funny because and this is this strikes a particular chord with me because of what I do and what I had to the education I had to acquire to do what it is that I do and these people were calling themselves counselors um, with no certification or qualifications in any way, shape, or form other than being pastors, which doesn't make you a counselor at all. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they're on their website, which has since been taken down. It equated homosexuality with bestiality. It said that they were the same thing. And I took some screenshots of it because, of course, uh, I think HuffPost actually took screenshots of the website. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Um, I think his stances are, um, interesting to say the least. 
his uh, like his stance on no abortion after six weeks, regardless of the circumstances. I thought that was interesting, which means even the life of the mother, you know, like regardless of circumstances means regardless of circumstances. So that's interesting. That's going to cause women to die. Um, his his statement that he there was another statement that he made that was captured on video where he said the reason for the mass shootings in the U.S. over the past however many years is primarily because of the teaching of evolution in school, which is ridiculous on the face of it. And, I mean, he should just be laughed out of Congress for that. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of what's, you know, got me, um, got me giggling this morning. Well, again, from the, from the safety, from the safety of Canada. So I guess I would say this may be one of those rare times where you know about uh, more about, um, you know, our politicians down here than I do. Um, I've intentionally kind of not cared um, about this the, whenever he got the speaker thing, because I was just kind of perturbed by the whole issue because Republicans are just ridiculous about how they have they have like there's something wrong with their collective brain. How like uh, Udo, you got to mute again. I'm getting a lot of feedback. How, like, liberals, like, if liberals had, hang on, Udo, I just got to move you, man. Um, you're not muting quick enough. Uh, that's a lot of feedback. Um, but, like, if liberals had Republicans, like, conservative ideas, <laughs> I think everything would be great. Um, or if um, Republicans stuck together the way liberals do, that would be great. But it's like, you know, I think conservatives typically have ideas that are more in line with what I think, how I think the country should be ran, but they cannot coalesce behind each other. They are fickle and ridiculous, and I cannot stand it. Anyways, so when this whole speaker thing, they went through like four speakers, like the Democrats, there's like Hakeem Jeffries every single time, every single one of them. I'm just like, wow, like that guy would be an awful speaker, but you've got to admire the left for sticking together like a hive mind. Um, anyway, so so because of that, I, I was just kind of tuned out. I'm like, I don't know this guy. I don't care about this guy. Uh, but based on what you said, maybe he's all right. <laughs> um, I would be curious about about some of the things you said. So you know, I'm taking a lot um, of what you say, kind of on blind faith, uh, just because I don't have any knowledge of this. Um, but I do think like the um, the mass shootings caused because they teach evolution. Eh, I'd want to know in context if he really says that specifically why. Um, the bestiality thing being exactly the same as homosexuality, I have to think that they may be like, you know, equating it to it somehow. But if you're like, okay, are you dumb enough to know that like, you know, homosexuality is between humans and bestiality is between, you know, a human and another species? I have to say, think they would be like, of course we know that. This is what we mean by that. Um, and if not, then I'd be like, okay, well, if you don't know the difference in a human and a dog, I can't help you. But I mean, I, I think even you would say, well, well, no, of course they know the difference in human and dog, but what they're saying is dangerously, you know, close to meaning that or, or something. But anyways, yeah, I guess I don't have a lot of insight on that. Um, so maybe I'll check up on him. But yeah, I mean, I, I and this is coming from me. The reason I was mad was for very different reasons than you are. Like there were a couple people who said, you know what, we're just going to vote for, um, you, know, you know, our choice for speaker is going to be Donald Trump. And I thought that would be great. Because legally, it could happen, and you don't even have to be in Congress to be the speaker, apparently. 
Um, you just need to be nominated by members of Congress. And, you know, he said, like, it wasn't what he really wanted to do because, you know, he wants to be president again. But he's like, you know, if I'm nominated, I won't reject it. So I just thought, like, it was the time to really go big or go home and, you know, stick to your guns, vote him office in office just because of the shenanigans the other side has pulled for so long. Um, that's why I tuned out when that never happened. And then it went through Jordan, who, you know, I, I pretty much like most of his stuff and he didn't get it. And then it went to like, what, another guy. And then finally, like, was it the fourth choice was this guy that no one had ever heard of? I'm just like, I don't care about any of this anymore. Yeah, I, I found it interesting. Like, I, I, I sat and again, I mean, I, I laughed over the, the whole thing. Like when when they went through one of the votes and John Boehner got votes, I just I'm like I'm like I'm like you you guys are out to lunch. Um, <laughs> I it, did it not was, know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. It was it, like it was it was fun. Like at one point there was um, you know like the only thing that could have been more ridiculous would have been saying you know uh, you know Richard Nixon or something like that, right? That, that could have been the only thing that was more ridiculous than that. But it's, uh, yeah, like he's, I, I think he, uh, you know, for, for people on the, for people on the right, um, I think he will be, you know, looked at, you know, and I say this tongue in cheek as the second coming, um, you know, because he's, you know, he's going to push for all of the things that people on the far right like, and, uh, you know, consequences be damned, right. You know, consequences to pretty much anybody else. So I, I think that the you know it's it's interesting. I've also found it very interesting. Um, I've been watching the um, the highlights from Trump's civil trial in New York um, with uh, with popcorn because that's been funny. Um, and I don't know if you've been paying any attention to that, but I think it's going to be very interesting next week when all of his kids have to take the stand and when he has to take the stand as well. And I, I was uh, I was watching this one kind of legal podcast, and they were talking about um, you know you know can can he refuse can he you know can he just not take the stand and apparently, given the parameters, he cannot refuse. And if he does not take the stand, then a bench warrant would be issued for his arrest, which I find again funny. See, that's that's another thing that I don't like um, how. You know, that seems to be the thing in the last year or so, really, where the these agenda driven judges will it, it seems like they found a loophole and it's been used for a few people. And it seems to work because, you know, Democrats fall. They, they follow the line. They follow their marching orders, which is scary as crap. But, you know, for them, they get things done. And if people step outside the rules or, you know, don't play with integrity, um, if they have other Democrats over them or who would be the ones to keep them in check, they're going to toe the line and they're going to go with it. So because of that, it seems like, you know, there's some cases in Texas. Um, I think most of Trump's stuff, like at least three of Trump's things, um, you have extremely far left judges. And this is on tape, right? Like you, you, people like it's like as soon as this stuff happens the next day, there's like ev like evidence like of stuff they said in tweets and TikTok videos, like all this stuff. How they're just like, oh, when I don't like what the jury says, I just, you know, ignore them and rule how I want. Like, what? You can't do that. But then you find out like this loophole they seem to come up with is like these default judgments. So it's like instead of having a trial, you know, a jury by your peers, um, it seems like in, in Texas, New York and maybe the Miami case or Miami or Georgia, one of them. It's like they issue like these default rulings. 
So they'll like do something on discovery and be like, okay, you need to turn over discovery and they'll set the bar like impossibly high. It's like, you know, we need all of your, um, I, I don't know, just something like that cannot be met. Like, you know, we, we need all boxes from all of your dealings in Texas and they're, or, or, you know, like Wyoming. And they're like, we never had any dealings in Wyoming. And they'll be like, see, you're, you're not complying with the court. Therefore, therefore, a default judgment of guilty has been rendered against you. Now you don't have to go to trial. You don't have to have a, uh, a jury rule on you or, you know, decide your fate. The judge will. And that seems to be a loophole that they're using where they'll just like set a bar that cannot be met and then say they're not complying with discovery. Therefore, they'll issue default judgments. And I think we see that's happening to like, you know, more prominent people like Trump. Um, and I, I just cannot stand it. So like, we have to make a pact, Michael. Um, if they start rounding up people like me and putting us in camps for our political views that disagree with their own, um, then if I make it to your house in Canada, you have to offer safe haven. And if a similar thing ever happens to you, um, make it down here through Florida and, and I will give you asylum. Well, it's interesting. I would say you could come and, you know, your wife and your kids, but you can't bring your cats because I don't like cats. Um, it could be food. Uh, no, my, no, no, my snakes aren't big enough. Um, Can I bring the dog? Um, oh, yeah. I love dogs. Dogs are great. Um, I have a question about the Trump trial. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, hang on. Let me put on my, my lawyer hat. Okay, go ahead. So... What okay? I read about this and it didn't make sense to me. What is the New York charge? It's that he's claiming his property values are higher than they are, right? Yeah. So it's 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 really it's really pretty nefarious. So what he did was and and the and the so it's interesting. So first thing, Nate, you can actually find online because it's a matter of public record where Trump's attorneys did not select a jury trial. So that's why he doesn't have a jury in this trial. That that is available online. I have seen it. That is why he doesn't have a jury trial trial for this. Um, okay, Steph, going back to what you said. So, um, what he did was is the it is my understanding is it's something called persistent fraud, where for years what he was doing was, in order to attain favorable loans and favorable loan rates, he would say this building is worth five hundred million dollars. And then when it came time to file his taxes, he'd say, this building is worth $5 million. So he would not pay taxes based on what it was, what it was valued for. What that also meant was when he was getting insurance, it was insured for values either higher or lower than it was, which is insurance fraud. Um, it's, uh, you know, he wasn't paying taxes on it, which is tax fraud. Um, and so there, and there's a couple of other things. So there, there are many reasons why he's, you know, he's in the situation that he's in right now. So, and, and he's been doing this for apparently a long time. One of the things that I also found really interesting is he said he was on record, like something like a few months ago saying, you know, why didn't they bring this, these, this suit, you know, three years ago, why did they wait until I'm running for president? And it was really funny because, um, the New York DA, Letitia, whatever her name is, responded to that and said, the reason we didn't do that is because a couple of the charges are only 18 months old. So you were, you were doing things. So I couldn't bring charges against you for something three years ago when you hadn't yet committed the crime. Okay. So, so the tax yeah. thing is interesting because I don't know enough about how that works, but I know a whole lot about how the real estate side works. And the initial thing that I read 
I guess about a month ago about the New York charges didn't mention taxes. And this whole thing is garbage because there actually is. So with, with the taxes, I'm less clear. I'm going to, I'm going to concede that right away. If this case was surrounding tax fraud, I would be far more convinced. The real estate charges are absolute nonsense. Just like the favorable loan term thing is, is garbage. So the reason for that is because if I, if Nate tells me right now that he wants to sell his house and he hires me as his real estate agent, do you know what he's going to do? He's going to tell me his house is worth $450,000. That's how much he wants out of it. Then why they pay me the big bucks is because I have software and expertise and data and I can go in and tell him the actual value of his house. And 100% of sellers overestimate the value of their house. I have never, ever had a seller be like, well, you know, I'll take 250 for it. And I'm like, wow, it's worth 350. That actually just happened with a gas station, but that's a different story because they didn't realize their financial. Like everybody does that, okay? So then if you're going to seek favorable loan terms, let's say you're an investor, you're going to go to the lender and be like, I want to leverage this building. I want to leverage Trump Tower and take out a loan to buy a neighboring property. I think Trump Tower is worth, you know, 280 million. And I want to buy the property next to it for 200 million, right? The bank is going to go, wow, 280 million. Okay, great. And sign it. No, the bank, if it's, so there's two types of loans, right? You have uh, primary mortgage lending, which gets sold on the secondary market, right? So you have a bank that is going to turn around and resell the loan which means that it has to meet certain criteria. And I'll come back to that. The second type of loan is called a subprime loan. And a subprime loan is going to be something like a private lender, like, uh, or, or your uncle or any of this, like someone who's going to charge you like 15% interest, but not check your credit score. Like that's, that's a subprime loan, right? Which isn't bad. Like a lot of investors use subprime lending. So if Trump went and said, my thing is worth $280 million, a prime lender would say, cool, we're going to get it appraised. And then the person who wants the loan would have to pay for Trump Tower. That would probably be like a $30,000 appraisal to have someone walk through and give the value of the property. And they'd be like, sorry, Mr. Trump, it's only worth $250 million, So we're going to lend you X percent of that. So first of all, primary mortgage lenders, you can't overestimate the value of the property. They double check. That's just ridiculous. Subprime lenders may just take his word for it. They may not do an appraisal. Oh, you're Donald Trump. Sure, we'll lend you $300 million if you leverage Trump Tower. Then... The fault is on the lender. The lender did not double check. That's part of the catch of subprime lending, right? So there is nobody that Donald Trump hurt at all by overinflating the value of his properties. Nobody. Investors do it 100% of the time. People who sell their houses do it 100% of the time. If there's a bank that lent because he said his property was worth more than they said it was and they didn't do their due diligence, the liability is on the bank, not him. Not only that, but it didn't hurt anybody because he probably took the money and leveraged it into something else and did another investment and hired more people. Like the, the real estate charge is absolute bogus. It's just complete nonsense. And any layman could tell you that. I don't know about the tax one though. That concludes my Ted talk on how lending works. That was great. You sound like everything I should have learned when I was trying to get my realty license. <laughs> well, I didn't know this at first. I've been doing it a long time now though. <laughs> <laughs> but I also like they don't teach residential agents that stuff. They, I'm a commercial agent, so it's kind of a different thing. But yeah, like everybody says, everybody says my property is worth X and it's worth maybe 80% of X. That's just a universal thing. 
Yeah, I, I'll be the first one to admit that I don't know jack about this stuff. I'm just I'm just going on what other people said. The only other thing that I that I remember as you were talking is uh, one of the one of the representatives from Cushman Wakefield, who apparently is a big deal in real estate. I have no idea. Yep. Um, yep. Took the stand because Trump submitted uh, evaluations to banks, and again, this is all a matter of public record now. And the banks, one of the testimonies was basically the bank said, oh, how do we know what this is worth? And I'm not saying Donald Trump did this, but members of his organization uh, submitted paperwork saying, oh, Cushman Wakefield gave us an evaluation and submitted this to whoever they for whether it be a loan or insurance or whatever else like that. Yep. Representatives from Cushman Wakefield have taken the stand in the New York case and said, yeah, we didn't do that. Mm, well, they don't know whether they did that. Okay, so that's something that someone would call me for. That's called a broker's price opinion. So somebody just called me and wants to list a gas station, and I'm listing it for $2.8 million, right? What they did was they called me and they said, we want a broker's price opinion of the value of this property. So then what I had to do was go and compare it to the values of other properties in New York State that have sold, of other local properties. I do a price comparison by square foot. I compare per acre. And then I look at their finances and I do an analysis and see what their net operating income is. And then I run that on a 10% cap rate and I arrive at a listing price, right? That's all stuff that you would hire a commercial real estate agent to do. Um, Pyramid brokerage is the one that you're talking about. So Pyramid (coughs) is exactly like me. They would do the same thing. The problem is that Donald Trump could have called any run-of-the-mill pyramid agent, any of them. Like, people ask me to do BPOs all the time. My broker's not involved in that. I'm a specialist. I'm fully uh, licensed and capable of running a BPO. So what would have happened is if if um, Cushman Wakefield took the stand and said, none of our pyramid agents did that, they don't know that. Their ag- any one of their agents could have done that. <clears throat> Second of all, a bank would never accept a BPO ever as a valuation. I'm not an appraiser. It's a broker's price opinion. It's not an appraisal. So it doesn't matter. Like a Cushman Wakefield agent could have told him, like I could call Donald Trump and be like, I did a BPO and I think your property is worth $10 billion. Nobody cares. The bank doesn't care. Then he would be like, great, go list it for $10 billion. And then nobody would buy it. Like that's the BPO. The purpose of it is to figure out the value of the property for the purpose of listing. Then a lender would use an appraiser to figure out the actual mathematical value. Nobody except the seller even ever sees the BPO. So that's just garbage. Wow, Steph. Yeah, Will end. you be my uh, expert witness whenever I list my property for a billion dollars? Yes, because it's well <laughs> within your rights to do that. Here's the thing, Nate. You, It is well within your rights to walk into a bank and say, my home is worth a billion dollars. And it is well within your rights to go to Zillow and put your property on the market for a billion dollars. You can go do that right now. No skin off your back. Nothing bad will happen. Everybody go home and try it. Put your property on the market on Zillow for a billion dollars. I think it's free. Anyway, anybody can do this. There will never be a cop showing up at your door. You will never get arrested. You'll get a bunch of trolley phone calls. People will be like, what the heck is wrong with you? It's not illegal. <laughs> you go do this. Like, it's totally fine. If you walk into a bank and you say, I want to take out a mortgage and buy my grandma's house and my property is worth a billion, the bank is going to be like, ha, 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 we're going to hire an appraiser. The end. End of story. Like that's, there's no way in which there's any real estate fraud. Like it's just dumbassery, like pardon my French, but it's ridiculous. The real estate charges are ridiculous. And the fact that Cushman Wakefield says, none of our agents ever gave a BPO. They don't know that. Any of their agents could have given a BPO. They could have even gotten three from three different agents and the broker never knew. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah, and again, I, I mean, I'm not an expert in this stuff. You, you sounds like you've forgotten more about this stuff than I'll ever know, <clears throat> um, which is fine. So I'll just, you know, take you at your word for it. Um, but, you know, he's in, you know, and I guess that's why he's in court and has the, you know, potential to, you know, either demonstrate his, you know, his innocence or actually it's not even on him. It's actually on the prosecution's uh, shoulders to, to demonstrate his guilt. So, and if they have the capacity to do this. that, then, yeah. He yeah, gives me $1,000 in a sandwich and I will get him out of the real estate trade. Like, this is ridiculous. And this is my point is like, I'm just a freaking mother of three in upstate New York. And I work with investors and I know like reading the article, I was like, there's nothing here. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, and it's exactly as I say, go put your house on Zillow for a billion dollars and tell me if a cop shows up at your door. It well, then happen. I guess you'll get acquitted then. On that. <laughs> if I put my, if I put my house for like a million dollars, can you find someone in New York who will buy it for that? And make him sound like it's a deal of the century. Be like, look, your house is like, you know, crazy in New York. Like, come down to Florida. There's only snakes and alligators. Only $1 million. So, unfortunately, I can't. Um, because I also am adherent. I'm a fiduciary, which is a whole thing. And I'm adherent to ethics laws. And I could never tell a buyer that I thought it was worth a million dollars if I didn't think it was. What if you're like, it's Sorry. totally not worth it, but do you want to do it? Yeah, that I could. I would have to put in writing that I thought it was stupid. But yes, I try to do that. Stephanie strongly recommended against this, but go ahead. Uh, hey, Sean, you've been up here for a while. Did you want to say anything, comment about anything you've heard? No, nah, Stephanie <laughs> hit every nail on the head. Um, I was just touching on his uh, his property value. like, And Steph just literally hit every every nail on the head. Like him to go to a bank and just say, "Hey, my my house is worth a billion. You think a bank is just gonna give him the money? And if they did, it's their fault. I mean, it just seems like everybody's got you know Trump derangement syndrome, and uh, he's like guilty. Be you know, he's gotta be proven innocent. It's like wild. It's like all right, they're like well, grasping at straws, man. And specifically, yeah. it's like like this judge in New York. Like, oh my gosh, this guy is such a. It's crazy. Like, it, it feels like we're being trolled. Like, they can't just find someone that's like, I don't really care for Trump. You know, I'm a fair arbiter of justice. Like, they find people that are, like, beside themselves. Like, if you've seen this guy, I don't remember if it was, like, TikTok or Twitter or something. But the guy's on camera. Like, you know, the guy with, like, gray, kind of, kind of like, not long, but, like, kind of short, like, I don't know, curly gray hair. The guy is ridiculous. And he's on tape saying it. Like, I've watched the clip, like, a thousand times, and it's enough that you get the context. I mean, he's like, yeah, if I don't like, and, you know, regardless if, if you know, Trump's people didn't want a jury trial on certain things. The guy's got like a thousand lawsuits. But, you know, this judge is specifically saying he disregards juries. He's like, yeah, if I don't like where it's going, if I don't like what the jury's saying, then, you know, I'll just rule in their place. <laughs> like, I, he's bragging about it. And no one's going to do anything because any of the people who would do something are all on the same political mindset as him. So it, it's just right. like, man, justice is not just. And let me ask you guys, which do you think is worth more? Trump Tower and the other real estate he has in New York or Mar-a-Lago? The answer is Mar-a-Lago. Right. Probably. I don't know. Maybe it's I should that. But the that, point is, why, like, why isn't Florida upset? Why is the state of New York upset? Why isn't Florida? Like, you would think that Florida would have the same case and be like, oh, my gosh, he's harmed our state. He's done something horrible. He's committed fraud and it's taken money out of taxpayer pockets in the state of Florida. Like, no, there's a reason they don't want a jury in New York. Honestly, I, if I were Donald Trump, 
<clears throat> I would never take a jury in New York either. Absolutely not. There's a reason why New York is coming up with this ridiculous case and there's ma they're making it so public. And they're putting, like, when I read articles about it, <clears throat> I was just reading and I'm like, that's not how that works. That's not how that works. Every real estate agent in the state of New York can tell you that's not how that works. And so why would, you know, it, it just, we should be asking ourselves these questions. And isn't it, uh, is it Letitia James, that's, that's who the prosecutor is or the DA or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that her that was on the video with like a couple of her crazy cronies who are like chanting over and over, like, you know, the system is like, too male, too pale, too stale. And they like, you know, get their, get their minions in a, in a frenzy. Like, that's just disgusting. Oh, right? Like, oh, Google it. Letitia James, too male, too pale, too stale. Like, it, it, oh, man, there's just like, these people are, are evil. They're incompetent at things they should be competent at. Their competency thrives in like race baiting and racism and perverting justice. The things that, that would actually have to do with competence, they are incompetent at and or outright evil. And it's just like, if you take the totality of the people bringing these things, it does not take much digging at all to be like, okay, well, even though this may be an unrelated issue, like, you know, they can be racist and I guess that's the right. Um, it's like when you put all these things together, it severely impacts their judgment on like every feasible level. Um, so I, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no faith. I, I am more familiar with the, well, I was going to say, I am a little more familiar with the Miami uh, thing. And I, I know um, that on its face, like there's, it, they just can't twist enough. They can't twist things enough to make the case they want to make. Because as soon as they try to say like Mar-a-Lago, I mean, I'm going to mess up these numbers. But as soon as they tried to say like Mar-a-Lago was valued at, uh, Trump overvalued it, and the real value is like something ridiculously low, like 18 million or something like that. Um, like no sooner did they d do that, than there was like this like a, a council of realtors or something that's like, no, we've had offers of like 300 million regularly, and right. someone even offered like 500 billion, and it's like even the own tax, like the own tax bill from like the previous year estimated at like a hundred and something, something million. Um, so it's like who, whoever did it, like jumped the shark so much. They tried to make their claim that it was that Donald Trump was committing, was lowballing it so much um, that they shot themselves in the foot and no one's going to buy it. And then someone else pointed out that, you know, Mar-a-Lago, uh, Michael, you got him. You, uh, someone else pointed out that Mar-a-Lago, you know, sets on like however many acres it does. Well, right next to it, there's like a two acre vacant lot. And it just appraised at like quadruple what they were trying to say Mar-a-Lago was worth. So it's like if this yep. is a vacant lot, half the size for quadruple the price of the lot with a, a resort built on it right next to it. No, you can't even twist that enough to make a case. Yeah, so exactly. That's, that's another thing. They sent a New York appraiser to go do the Mar-a-Lago valuation. <laughs> I think he came out at 16 million and it was something like 340 million was what his estimate was. And I did the math, okay, just on the price per acre. And I forget, it was like $850,000 per acre. If there was nothing sitting on that land, it would still have been worth like 40 million. Like if, there, if it was just empty, vacant land, just, and any real estate agent can do that and back it up with data. It's not our opinion. We go, oh, look, it's exactly as you say, two acres next door sold for X. Well, now we adjust that comparable because we say that the two acres is much less, so it's going to go higher per acre. So we drop it by $100,000 per acre. And still, it winds up, like, it was ridiculous. That that appraiser, I can't believe he put his license on the line to put that out there. Like that And was nothing's going to happen with his license because he's on the right side. So, right, you're like, exactly. why would someone risk their license? 
because it's him and nothing's going to happen because he's on the right side. <laughs> and yeah, that it's kind of so scary. Sad. Like that's that's bad. That is him rejecting. You know, and the thing is that if you have a if you have an offer on a property, then that is very powerful. You can say to the appraiser, "I have in writing a ready, willing, and able buyer who wants to pay X." That does say something like the appraiser. If you if a property is under contract, let's say that I have my gas station under contract for two point five million. The appraiser looks at that contract and says, oh, looky here. This person is qualified at the bank for two point five million. They're willing to pay two point five million. I'm going to try to justify two point five million because this is like a value of a property. The legal definition of value is what an open and free market offer would pay for it. Right. So if you have multiple value offers in writing on Mar-a-Lago for three hundred and forty million, the appraiser, if they come out much lower than that, they're like, well, the market has shown you you're wrong because we have three offers that say otherwise. Like this is this happens on the level of selling your little hundred thousand dollar home and it happens on the level of selling Mar-a-Lago. It's the same exact process. So there's no mystery here. Like it's ridiculous. And they're they're banking on the fact that most people don't understand this process. Okay, last point on it then. And then I'd much rather just talk about how gods aren't real. Um, so let's say he loses and he appeals and he loses and he goes all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court shuts him down. Is it still crooked? Well, this is the question, right? If he goes all the way to the Supreme Court and it shuts him down, I would have questions about why that happened. I would say, how come I can overinflate my property value and I'm not arrested, right? I would have the question about why can I list my property for $2 million on Zillow when I know it's worth three hundred, right? So I would say, how, how did that happen? How did the law get interpreted that way? But it's kind of hard to conceive that that would happen because the state of New York is going to interpret the law in a way that's beneficial for the state of New York. The federal court has a team of judges and the idea of like the idea of checks and balances is not going to apply in New York. It will apply on the federal level. So that's why we have a Supreme Court is because the idea is you get all the way up there and you're going to have a much more unbiased opinion because it's decision by group. Right. And there's going to be some in the group who think he's guilty and some who think he's innocent and they have to go back to the law. What does the law say? Right. If the Supreme Court ruled him guilty, I would have questions about the implications for the rest of us. Does that mean that I can get arrested if I walk into a bank and tell them I think my property is worth 350 and then it's actually only worth 325? What does that mean for me? Because in America, we set the precedent for law based on the Supreme Court rulings. So we would say in the Trump versus U.S. case of 2023, this happened. So now I can never I can't go out and overestimate my property or else someone could take me and the same thing could happen to me. So we need to be very watchful of what's coming out of the Supreme Court. Because any decision that comes out of the Supreme Court impacts everybody. So, Michael, if that happened, I would be less concerned about Trump's future and far more concerned about mine. I don't know if that answers your question. But. You're putting on like a master class today, Steph. I am impressed. You should focus on this and not Calvinism. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. What's up, guys? Hey. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. Aren't you? I think I remember you from the other day. What's you don't connection? think you remember me. You remember me. I do remember. Yeah. But I can't remember exactly what you're talking about. I think you're a, a, an angry Hebrew Israelite the other day, though. Uh, I think that I think you're a passive aggressive, angry Gentile. Well, oh, I was you, right. Okay, well, cool. could you at least be passive aggressive with your TV turned on mute? What? Could you at least be angry with your TV turned on mute? Because we, we hear that and it's, it's loud. It's hard to hear you over your TV. 
Oh, I'll lower, I'll lower the volume. Oh, you're the guy who had the script. I'm a spiritual man, and you were arguing with, with Faithful. I, I told you before it's not a script. It is a script. Okay, I remember who you are. Go ahead, which, do Nate. Which, do Nate now. Which, I'm so excited. Which Steph, preset package Steph, you're hilarious. Which preset package should I follow along with? Sorry? Is, is there a preset package I should be following along with? Oh, no, nah, it's just, not really. It's just black people are Israelites. But not all, right? Sorry? No. According to you, but but not all of them, right? I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, so am he I. He hasn't Israelite? read the Bible, I'm... so he doesn't, yeah. He admitted well, that he hasn't read anything. Well, I mean, according to you, like, I, we still hear your TV. What is that? What but... is that proof? <laughs> well, what, whatever. Uh, well, I mean, it proves you don't know the other side. Well, I, I was, I was asking if, listen, like, I, 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 listen, I don't care about your first few the cool questions. Black people are Israelites, right? So I, I'm asking if I'm an Israelite because I'm 002 percent black on my dad's side. So, am I cool with you? I don't care about all this new world uh, fake DNA test that they could sell you guys. You got, you guys are Gentiles. Your skin is white. You're a Gentile. Sounds a little racist, but okay. So, do you have a question, or you just want us to tell you all the ways you're wrong, or what can we uh, what can we do for you today? Um, I'm here to listen in on the discussion. Okay. Uh, who do you have a bigger problem with, um, traditional Christians um, or atheists? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm Who drooling. Do I, are you asking me? Yes. Who do I have a Christian problem with? Traditional Christians or atheists was the question. Yes. Um, both. Okay. Well, Michael's an atheist. Talk to him first. I'm dead. Sorry? There you go, Michael. I didn't I hear said you. My, my, I said Michael here is an atheist. Uh, go ahead and talk to him. Yeah, Phil. So, so which, which imaginary friend do you have? Imaginary friend? Um, yeah. I don't have an imaginary friend. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So, okay, I'll play along. Which God do you think is real? Which God? Um, I don't think he's real, but I do believe in Jesus. Oh, okay. So, well, no, so are you claiming to know it then? Are you claiming to have knowledge? To a certain extent, I have knowledge. Okay, well, knowledge is demonstrable with measurable accuracy. So, please demonstrate your knowledge. No, Massa. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. That, wow. Did you ever shut me down? Did you ever shut... I may never recover from that. You're a waste of skin, energy, and time. Well, that's uh, that's the answer from an atheist. Uh, I guess I, I guess talk to us Christians now. Please stop. Please stop using my valuable oxygen. I mean, for the record, Michael could be black as night. You don't know based on his voice. You may it's think God's you oxygen. The God you can't demonstrate is real. That one, sure. Well, um, there's many, there's, there's many demonstrations, you know. Oh, pick it, one. I'll take your best. I, I, I'm here to listen. I don't really want to. Let me tell you, this back and forth. So I'm not a fan of them. I don't really oh, okay. engage in them. Oh, okay. 
I hear that okay, a lot well, when people can't back up their assertions. That's cool. Well, I guess if you just want to listen, then I mean, that's fine. Such, um, if you have I, anything I, to, I'll, if you I'll, have I'll anything, jump in, no, no, no. I'll jump in the conversation later if I if anything is interesting enough. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, feel free to listen and hang out, and if you have anything you'd like to say, just uh, just let us know and jump in. Uh, random. Hello. Hey there. I just got a little confused from Phil. If your intention is to listen, then why are you up on the stage? I don't think me being on the stage takes away my has any like ruins my ability to listen. Right, but okay. if you don't have to be on the stage to listen. I don't, I don't think it matters. Yeah. Eat a mic. I mean, uh, he's well, also random. a troll, so it's kind of, you know, he's just here to, to crack some jokes when he can. Well, Michael, you got your wish. We stopped talking about Trump. <laughs> yeah, and you, you got to see my super salty side. <laughs> um... Where do we go from here? Random, you have any other uh, you have any other questions or comments? Oh, wait, I want to answer Random's question in the chat. Um, oh. One of the things they seem to be trying to prove is intention to mislead. Yes. So the ramification you presented is skewed because in the example, you didn't do so without intent to mislead. Well, the problem with that is that if Nate said his house was worth a million dollars without checking because he wanted a million dollars, that would be the same exact intention to mislead. Right, like that would be the same thing Trump did. Hello. It it would it would require you to know what, like like the intent to mislead is to know what it's been valued at, specifically, and then you would say basically something else. Right. That that, that would be the intent to mislead. Not, not, but yeah. not that I'm saying. Let me, let me, let me, let me add a disclaimer. I don't know much about this stuff. I'm. It's just from my perspective. It seems to be that there is a, a, an intent, a, a an attempt to prove intention to mislead. Not that those are the specific legal terms. Yeah. So, so that's going to be pretty difficult because anytime that anyone does something without checking, it could be similar intent to mislead. So in law, there's something called constructive notice. And then I forget the other one, implied notice or something like that. But anyone could say, if Nate put his house on Zillow right now for a million because he wanted a million dollars, it would be the same because Nate knows that no one in his neighborhood has sold for a million dollars, right? So that's why the bank doesn't just trust what the seller says or the borrower says. The bank has a whole other set of systems to make sure that they don't just have to rely on whatever the person who wants the loan is saying. So if there was liability for being inaccurate when you're trying to borrow money, that would be a very dangerous place for any of us to be in. If you wanted to borrow $150,000 to buy your first home, you would have to walk in the bank and say absolutely nothing about anything whatsoever because there would be liability. You could go to prison for accidentally saying what your gross income was before your taxes were done or for accidentally saying what you want to pay for a house or for accidentally saying how much your car is worth. Like this is the, the danger in saying that intent to mislead is convictable in this situation is that it's a situation that nearly every American will be in at least one point in their life, taking out a loan to buy property. So it's a dangerous precedent to set.
in my humble opinion. I don't know. I haven't even been watching the case. Well, I, I appreciate your perspectives. I'm, uh, I'm certainly going to look more into it. I think there is something to what Michael said earlier about the tax. This one, like I said, I haven't read about it at all. But if he walked into like what what he's saying to the bank is none of anyone's business because it doesn't matter. He could walk in and say that Trump Tower is worth 50,000 and nobody cares. Like, again, nobody cares. Um, the bank checks on their own. The tax thing is a little more interesting because if he walks in and says Trump Tower is worth 340 million and then they appraise it or they uh, do the appraisal at 320 and then he knows it's worth 320, he would have to turn around and file his taxes. But then the taxes usually go on the assessment roll. So any of us could look up right now and see what's the assessment on Trump Tower. If you know the address, you could just look it up in the New York GIS. The GIS is a like a tax system that we use up here. So anybody could look up what the appraisal or the assessment value is. Now the tax assessment is a separate thing from the appraisal, and the tax assessment is usually 79% of the market value in New York State. So if his taxes did not match the tax assessment, that's a pretty easy catch. That's not something that someone would do. Because if you were audited, they'd be like, oh, my God, you said Trump Tower was worth $100 million and it's assessed in the public record at $300 million. Then the accountant would be like, whoa, oops. Like, no accountant is going to. That's the part where it gets puzzling for me is because tax value is a matter of public record. So I, I would have to look more into that one. Like, who's the accountant who signed off on that? Yeah, yeah, Trump Tower yeah, is worth more. Was it a clerical error? Like, no accountant would, would do that. Yeah, no, there's one of the guys, I forget the the accountant's name, but his CFO, um, I think it was the CFO who hired the accountant to do to do the work. And, yeah, so I, I forget the name of the accounting firm, but the CFO also signed off on it. The CFO also took the stand and said that he, because apparently in New York State, <clears throat> there's a rule about whenever you're doing things like that, you have to apply, you have to adhere to something called um, generally applied something, something, I can't remember. Um, and when he took the stand, he said, well, you know, so if you're doing these things, you're aware that you had to do this, this, and this. And he's like, yes, I'm aware of that. And he said, well, you know, can you tell me what they are? And he couldn't tell, he couldn't tell them what they were. So he knew that he had to adhere to them, but he couldn't, say what it was he had to adhere to or how he had to adhere to it. Um, and this is someone else who has pled guilty since then. Um, and got to some kind of been that liability on Trump or on the accountant? Like my, my CPA files taxes, I, I have no idea what he's doing. He could say anything he wanted and I would never know because I'm paying him to do it. Right. Like I have no idea how to do taxes. Yeah, no. And th that's a very good question. So, and then I think it, I think part of the issue becomes whether or not, it was done at the direction of so, like if it was, it was done at someone's direction. Uh, and I don't think we have that information yet. Yeah, so. and even then, my accountant's name is Todd, right? If I told Todd, hey, tell them my property is worth 90000 And he's like, uh, you're in, uh, you know, you're in this city in New York. I don't think your property is worth 90000 Or he would have to do the due diligence because the accountant is signing his name. He prepares your taxes. And then he signs an affidavit saying that it's true to the best of his knowledge. So, and I'm not even a public person, but I couldn't tell him that my property was valued at X without him checking. So like Todd would never do that. Who, who's the accountant 
who signed up. Let's say that Trump was like, hey, go tell them that my the Trump Tower is worth $50,000. And then the who's the accountant who was like, okay. Like, the, nobody would do that. <laughs> like, it doesn't make... That's the part that's so strange is it doesn't make any sense because it's such a public mistake to make. That is so easily disprovable that it's very hard for me to believe that any licensed accountant in New York State would knowingly and repeatedly file that even at Trump's direction. It's still on the accountant, not on Trump. I think the reason it sounds so confusing (laughs) is that saying about, um, oh, man, can someone help me out? It's like the when at first we try to deceive something about like a tangled web we weave. I think that's why it sounds confusing because the people who brought these charges are trying to finagle and twist things in such a way that it just doesn't make sense. And everything is like kind of unraveling and what they're trying to do for him, if successful could then like, you know, basically screw everyone in the country. And Man, I, I just like I've seen so many things come out, um, you know, about like kind of high profile conservative people, um, you know, in the last like year or so about all these like, you know, kind of like phony trials and trumped up charges and stuff like that. Um, that man, I just have zero faith in the justice system. <laughs> like like the only shot you have is going to a jury trial in a place where not everyone 100 percent hates your face. Uh, I mean, that's like the only chance you have. Uh, but whenever they like withhold, uh, you know, like tell people like, uh, you know, they like tell the jury like you're guilty and it's only the jury's job to decide how guilty you are. Uh, but you're definitely guilty and you can't you're like prevented from presenting certain evidence in your cases and things like that. So if they're like, hey, you're worth, you know, a billion dollars and you're like, dude, I have like a million dollars to my name. And they're like, you can't say that. It's like what our system is just shot like it has no chance. Just like, the, you know, the free, the free speech thing. Like, you know, a guy just went to jail for like 60 days specifically for his speech. Um, so I'm like, if we're getting put in prison for freedom of speech, um, yeah, that's messed up, man. Like, just, just pray for whatever, the giant comet or meteor or something. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but I'm, I'm not a free speech absolutist. So I guess it depends on what he said. Oh, well, this was specific. Okay, so so the guy's name is Owen Schroyer. He's like a, he's like a, you would say extremely far right. I would say pretty far right, um, you know, conservative, like podcaster or whatever. Anyway, so like um, he he's kind of known for doing all these like demonstrations, like not super provocative ones, but like uh, a couple years ago at like this uh, right to life march or something like that. Um or, or no, it's not the right to watch. It was the other one. It was the like the pro-choice march or whatever. Um, how they were, you know, shrieking like banshees, saying that men couldn't speak about abortion because you know they don't have a uterus or something like that. Uh, so, anyways, he went to the Capitol grounds where the march was, and he just stood there and put a piece of tape over his mouth. You know, basically being like, "Yeah, I'm a man. I can't speak, but you know why I'm here." Um, anyways, so he got like probation viol- uh, violated for that for being like you know unlawfully on the Capitol grounds even though like a million angry women were. Um, but he got arrested for that and put on probation. So anyways, he, w- he was on probation during January 6th. So during January 6th, um, he, um, I may be messing up some details because he was arrested. He was on probation, but they used that as justification for why they um, wanted him to go to prison in, um, because of January 6th. Because they're like, it, you were told as a condition of a probation, you can't go back inside the Capitol. Well, he didn't. 
So, you know, they have like 12 hours of video where the camera was just on the Capitol and you can see him walking in and out of frame. So like at no point did he actually go in the Capitol, but they're like, no, you went in the Capitol. He's like, I didn't hear it. They're like, okay, anyways, probation's violated. So he was like, um, he was on probation again from that. And um, when it became time for like the deferred sentence or whatever, um, they said, no, we, we, he fulfilled the terms. Like they asked him to turn over this evidence and his phones and records and videos and all this. Um, and, and they would, they would just do probation again. So that's what he had done. Well, anyways, it came time for him to, um, get off probation and like, you know, fulfill his duty to the state or whatever. Um, and anyways, they decided to go ahead and seek for uh, probation violation and imprisonment. And the reason they specifically cited on like the court document where the federal prosecutors say, we want him to go to prison. What is your reason? It said the reason, right? Nothing to do with anything else. So it was just a setup was because he says on his show recurringly that he is unrepentant and still says the 2020 election was rigged and stolen. And he called Joe Biden a pedophile. <laughs> so it wasn't anything about what I just said about the, the setup to it, about he didn't, he didn't go in the Capitol, he didn't do any of this other stuff. Um, it was specifically the only reason given for imprisonment was speech. And he wasn't calling for violence or anything like that. It wasn't like an absolutist issue. It was specifically, he still maintains the 2020 election is stolen and he called Joe Biden a pedophile. And the judge sent him to jail for 60 days because of speech. So that is like, talking about like setting a dangerous precedent, that is awful. That's like one of the worst things that could happen in America is people legitimately, or well, people get sent to jail for stuff they said. Again, not an absolutist issue, not like a call for violence or anything like that for saying an election was stolen. Like it was like the, the man, if it wasn't for double standards, um, you know, like prominent Democrats like Stacey Abrams, well, she's not smart enough to say that, but people who have constantly called elections stolen and rigged, like, you know, Clinton, all these other people, Al Gore, um, whenever they've called this, one of their hallmarks of the Democratic Party has been, you know, you live in a free country when you can challenge elections openly. And when you can say, you know, when you can like call elections rigged and seek, um, you, you know, seek like recounts and all this other stuff, basically you're not agreeing with the election, you're challenging it. But then fast forward a couple years to when the other side does it, now that gets you sent to prison, federal prison, um, and it gets you called domestic terrorists and things like that. That is scary as heck. Facts. A little too dour for this uh, Wednesday. Oh, no, sorry. I was just reading an email. Um, yeah, pesky work I was getting in the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would, I would agree with what you just said. Um, if it, if it is in fact that he was sent to jail for something like that, yeah, I would stand beside you and say that shouldn't happen. And then you'll get sent to prison too. <laughs> Not in Canada, I would. Are, um, are, is the atheist is the atheist person still in? I think he's still in here. Yep. Yep. That's me. Did you did you come up with it? Did you come up with a way to demonstrate your silly god exists? Nah, but I am bored enough to engage in the conversation now. Oh, okay. Well, it depends on whether or not what you have to say I find uh, exciting. So far away. Well, well, uh, yeah, man. I mean, Jesus is the Lord. Uh, I don't, if you want an explanation, um, breathe. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm playing. Uh, why? Well, 
you want me to explain to you why Jesus is Lord? Okay, um, well, I mean, the thing about Jesus is the way that Christianity works is it's by faith. So you kind of just got to believe. You have oh, yeah. to believe. Oh, yeah, no, I, I never felt, see, uh, um, yeah. okay, yes. So Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If If someone says to me, that they're a believer, and when it, when they boil it down to their lowest common denominator, it's faith. Okay, I'm not going to I'm not going to fight them on something like that. If they, if at the if at the their bottom line they say I take it as a matter of faith, the problem is is that faith is not a reliable pathway to truth, right? Because there's nothing that you can say that 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 I can't say. Well, I choose to accept that on faith. So I could accept something on faith, even though it's not correct. So if I can accept something on faith that is actually incorrect, then faith is not a reliable pathway to truth. So you can tell faith, me, so you can, faith. hang on, I'm sorry, 